Hi, this is Chelsea Vale. You have found the Whole Heart Podcast, a podcast for conscious parents who want to do things differently. Parenting the Whole Heart Way is about love, connection, play, and raising our children naturally. It can get, at times, a little bit crunchy. Let's jump in. I am so excited about today's episode. This season, I am breaking down the letters of PARENT, the acronym PARENT, P-A-R-E-N-T. P is for play, A is for authenticity, R is for reframing. PARENT acronym is from the Danish way of parenting. Uh, Why are we talking about the Danish? Because the Danish have been voted the happiest country in the world for over 40 years. And anthropologists and parenting specialists and therapists alike have been studying what is going on um, with the Danish. Why are they so flippin' happy and how can we mimic what they're doing? How can we, how can we follow what they're doing? And, um, so I'm breaking down each of the letters in, um, the acronym of parent. We talked about P is for play, A is for authenticity. And now we're on my favorite, which is reframing. And the reason I love this one is because it's not just something, it's not just a skill that applies to parenting, um, but it applies to the way that you see people and the world and yourself. And it's a skill that in a lot of ways really changes your life. So I live by the mantra, you can live in a world that you design, right? And what that means is that the world is what you make it, what you see. It's all about perception. You can choose to get um, lost in the shuffle and be anxious with everybody else and be tense and be sad and be negative and allow other people's junk to crud up your life and to cloud your mind and your perception of the world. Or you can retrain your mind and flip everything to be positive. Now, I grew up here in Texas, right, in America. And um, that's in the South. But I was also raised by two parents who are from Georgia. So I can consider myself a Southern woman raised by a Southern mom. However, my thinking is a little bit different than that. So the Southern culture, especially Southern mamas, if you're not from America, you've definitely seen it in a movie where a Southern mom is sort of the quote unquote Pollyanna. Okay. That's kind of a nickname that we call the Southern mom. Everything's good. It's a beautiful day. Oh, let's not talk about what's sad. Let's not have those intense negative feelings. It's a beautiful day, right? And they sort of um, ignore everything that's negative and dark and they're not okay with feeling anything. And, you know, there's always a happy ending and they they really do in a lot of ways, ignore negative emotions. What that does is create inauthenticity. We talked about authenticity last week. So that creates an ingenuine self, right? And, and a lot of times kids that grow up in a home like that will sort of question their emotions and their perception of the world because they're taught to ignore negative feelings or look for the positive in everything when there's not always a positive in everything. That's not really what I'm speaking about with reframing. There's a distinct difference between being a Pollyanna, quote unquote, and being a realistic optimist, meaning that um, in a realistic optimist, like like the Danish tend to be um, in their culture, be realistic but find joy and find the good in a crap situation, but don't ignore that it's a crap situation. Validate the negative aspect of it, but then find a way to to enjoy it, right? And I'm going to tell you what I mean by it. you sort of breaking that down here. Like, for example, if you're with your kids and you're planning to go to the park and it's, you know, starts raining rather than go, oh, it's a yucky day. It's raining. Crap. We got to go back home. Instead say, oh, 
That's disappointing. I wonder what fun we could have inside. Could we do some puzzles? Or maybe we could play in the rain. We finally get to use that new rain jacket that I've been excited about. You guys get to wear your galoshes today, okay? So we're not ignoring the fact that it's raining and that we're disappointed and that we're sad. We're allowing kids to have those feelings and and that disappointment, but then we're gonna flip it and we're gonna say, what can we do that would be fun, okay? Uh, I live in the big city. There is not a time that I go to a restaurant that's a really good, decent restaurant downtown that doesn't have a line, okay? If you don't make reservations, especially during COVID, you're not going to get in, okay? So rather than be one of those people that goes to a restaurant and goes, oh, crap, there's an hour-long wait. I can't believe this. So tired of living in this crowded city, blah, blah, blah. Instead, I go, hey, you know what? We didn't make reservations, but I'm really craving um, that meal, If we get there and it's a long wait, let's just get a drink at the bar or let's go next door. I'm so glad that it's next door to Peche that has really great cocktails or, you know, whatever it is. Um, If I'm driving to school with my kids and there's really bad traffic, I'm going to say, hey, guys, this is a great opportunity to listen to a podcast, okay? Sorry there's traffic. We're a little bit late. That's disappointing. But let's listen to this story or this podcast or read a book. Always trying to find the joy or the positive or something to be excited about and appreciate in a crap situation without ignoring that it's a crap situation, right? So that's sort of the way that we look at the world and how the world affects us and our daily lives, right? But when it comes to parenting, it's also important that you're careful what you say about yourself, right? So rather than saying, um, uh, I'm fat, I need to lose weight, we might try to say in front of our kids, I'm making an effort to eat better, I feel better when I go for a run. I'm eating healthy foods because it feels better in my stomach when I eat healthy foods. The types of messages that we put out there about ourselves become our child's inner dialogue when they become adults. What we say about ourselves in, um, in front of them or to our friends, to our spouse, those are all things that they begin to internalize as acceptable ways of speaking about self, right? So as that child grows older, that might become something they say about themselves. And you wouldn't want your child to say that about themselves. You, when you're speaking about maybe a skill that you're trying to learn, rather than say, oh, I suck at baking, right? Flip it. Baking is something that I haven't mastered yet. I'm really excited to try a new recipe. Or I found a really great baking book that explains to me that the chemistry that's really important when you're trying to master baking, really trying to find the positive. So that's being a realistic optimist, right? Now, we're going to go a step further and talk about the most crucial thing about reframing is the way that we speak about our child in front of our child and to our child and to others. So when I was a teacher, there was a um, a call from one of my principals prior to uh, the school year starting. And she said, hey, I'm going to bring you this little boy. He's um, identified as ED. Can you meet him a few days before school starts? Now, if you're not familiar with the term ED, that means emotionally disturbed. And This falls under the special ed umbrella and there are definitely kids that have had really intense traumatic events in their life and they they do qualify for that label. This child was different. In this situation at the age of six with zero trauma in his life, um, no divorce, no violence, no abuse, none of that. It was very odd to me that this label was just, you know, slapped on this kid at six years old. So I thought, you know what? I bet when I meet him, I'm going to be able to figure out what's going on with this kid pretty quickly. And I am determined as his teacher to fix this kid in a year. Now, he was identified as ED because he was selectively mute. Now, fixing him, quote unquote, uh, does not mean I'm going to get him to talk. 
That's not my goal. My goal is to fix him in a way that teaches him to cope with that struggle or that setback. Why is he selectively mute? Okay. Why is he choosing not to speak? If I can get to the root of the problem as the teacher, perhaps I can help him move forward and progress, even though he chooses not to speak and chooses not to use his words, you know, verbally as much. But it doesn't take me more than about five minutes of meeting this child and his mother to understand why he is ED, emotionally disturbed. He walks in, he's looking down at his shoes. His mother, an Ivy League professor, who is probably very verbal and speaks for a living about her excessive knowledge, and I'm sure she is a wonderful woman, um, but she's standing there next to him and she says, well, this is him. This is uh, it's pretty much all he does. He's not going to talk to you. He's not going to do anything. He's not probably going to have any friends. He's just going to be here and don't expect a lot out of him. This kid's six. And I'm thinking, oh, dear Jesus, I understand why he doesn't speak. He's probably not good enough for you, right? Or um, has his entire life been introduced as shy? Has his mother always introduced him as, as shy or in the way that she was speaking to me, worthless, right? So I start talking to him. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Um, I'm so-and-so. And, you know, and I, I introduce myself. I talk to him about the classroom, the things we're going to do. At no point do I ask him a question. Why? Because I don't want to see if he's going to talk. I know he's not going to talk. It says right here in my, in my file that he doesn't talk. So I'm not going to try to get him to talk, but I am going to change the way that he thinks about himself by the things I say about him. I'm going to reframe this disease, this illness that he's been labeled with, this disgust that um, you know is, is being portrayed when someone is describing him. I'm going to reframe it. He is no longer shy or emotionally disturbed or selectively mute. He is a child who takes his time before he makes friends. And that's how I introduced him to the classroom. Hey guys, um, this is Adam. Adam takes a little while to make friends. He likes to listen to your words before he uses his. Just because he's not using his words and telling stories doesn't mean he's not enjoying yours. He's someone that likes to listen more than speak. These are the types of things that I was saying about him. And I kid you not, by the end of the year, this kid was speaking. He was doing oral presentations. He was doing class plays. He was the class clown. I actually had to write this kid up one time. I had to give him a discipline report for talking too much, excessive talking. And I actually was really excited the day that I sent that note home. I was like, hell yeah, this kid now has so many friends and he is making people laugh and giggle and have so like just with his rock and personality, he's getting written up for excessive talking. And I really found joy writing that note. Hopefully he didn't get a lot of trouble. I think I called his mom that day and said, you know what? I'm super proud of him for being disruptive today for, for talking. Um, and in a way, I kind of want him to know that he's got that. And I, I noticed, you know, that this is a skill he has, but maybe we need to channel it down a little bit, a little notch, because it was out of control. But I was also still proud of him, okay? And... It really helped the way that I was speaking about him to his friends, introducing him to people, the way that I spoke about him to other teachers as well. And then even when his mother came in for conferences, the things that I would say about him hopefully were transferring to at home in the way that she was speaking about him and the progress that he was making. Kids need to be fully accepted for who they are. I didn't fix him by making him speak. 
I fixed him by retraining his brain to think about himself differently based on the things that I was saying about him to him. If you have a child who struggles with math, you wouldn't say, eh, math is not their strong suit because then they believe that they're not good at math. It's better to say, math is something we haven't quite mastered yet. That implies that you are able to learn that skill and that shows the child that they are able to do that, right? If you have a child who, you know, struggles athletically, you don't need to point that out. You might say they have so much fun when they play sports. They really enjoy their time out there on the soccer field. That is reframing. That becomes the way that we, that, that's the inner dialogue that our children will adapt to. And we have to really be cautious about the things that we say about them to them. When I take my kids for hikes, we live in a town where there is a very large homeless problem a lot of litter sometimes, but I don't walk out to the lake and say, hey guys, look down there. Do you see all the trash? Instead, I say, look away from the trash. Do you see flowers? Does anybody find a beautiful pink flower? Isn't it beautiful? Look how it's blooming in the midst of all of that. Some of the most beautiful things come from the dirt, don't they? Because that's what I want them to see. I want them to see the flower, not the dirt, right? Do you remember those... uh, paintings back in like the 80s and 90s, I think it was probably the 90s, where you had to stare at it for a while. And if you stare, and it looked like a big mess, right? It was like, why would you hang that on your wall? But if you stare at it in the right spot for a really long time, it, it became like a 3D image of something really beautiful, right? Art in a lot of ways is, is very much like the way that we should look at life. Sometimes you're walking by a painting that maybe at first kind of rubs you the wrong way. Take a moment and, and train yourself to find the beauty in it. What can you find beautiful in that? When I was in Chicago, I went to this pop art gallery. I can't remember what neighborhood it was in. I just kind of wandered into it and looked all over the place. And of course, there was tons of art that I loved. I mean, my house would look like an art gallery if I could afford it because I just love art. You know, it's so beautiful. Um, and it was... It looked like a black cloud, right? And then there was a skeleton hand coming out and then there was uh, another hand coming up and it looked like there was like blood dripping, but it was all black and white. And at first glance, I went, oh, that's kind of morbid. And then I thought, okay, well, why do I think it's morbid? And I looked at it and I thought, could this be something else? What was this person thinking? What was the artist thinking when they sketched this out? And then I started like almost a tear up. I thought, this is beautiful, This could be someone in death, still connected to someone that is living. This could be a soul that maybe hasn't moved on past, you know, it's like that there's still some unfinished business. This could be lovers that even though one person is dead and one person is still living, they're still connected. It could be so many things if you want it to be. And that's what I think that we should train our minds to do is find the beauty. Look at people And maybe at first you see someone, you think, oh my God, that person would drive me crazy. Shift your mind, shift your frame and think there's someone that loves them. What is it about this person that the person who loves them sees? What does their lover see about them? What does their mother see about them? What does their best friend enjoy about them? Because everyone has someone in their life who thinks they are fantastic And it's up to us to try to see the light in every person, try to see the beauty. And in our children, some people have had children and they think, uh, I've actually had someone say this to me. I'm not just making this up. He is the biggest disappointment is what someone said about their own child. 
He doesn't do this, 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 and this. You think you're going to have a kid and they're just going to be like, you know, you're going to play ball together. You're going to ride bikes. He doesn't want everyone to do anything, right? And they were complaining about this. Okay, this is your child. You're not going to get a protege. You're, you don't get to live vicariously through this little person. It is a soul that comes with a blueprint for life. It's our job to be the loving, nurturing parents and guide them towards that. What do we love about this little being? What do we love about the people in our lives, our family, our friends, strangers? We have to train our minds to see beauty and light and love in every person. And the more that we try to do that in our own lives and in in the world in front of our kids, that's how they will start to grow up. They will become confident, capable people. My ex-husband used to make fun of people all the time, constantly. And I'm not lying. He was actually really good at it. He was really funny, okay? But then his oldest son was very shy, very slow to warm up, did not want to, um, you know, do a lot of things where people might be looking at him or um, he was always scared he was going to be made fun of and um, lacked a lot of confidence. And it always kind of struck me as sort of ironic because I thought, His entire life, his father has made fun of other people, talked badly about strangers, talked badly about people at work, talked badly, just sort of made fun of everybody in his life with with a negative tone. And it was funny, but almost sad too, because all of those things that he had said about strangers became things that that child thought someone might be saying about him. And it bred a lot of inferiority, insecurity, lack of confidence and low self-esteem. But imagine as a parent, if you were always saying positive things about the people in your life, praising the good, the effort, the character, laughing along with people and focusing on the good qualities that you see in people and the good and the joy and the beauty and the love and the truth that you see in the world, do it out loud. Share your thoughts out loud. When you're practicing reframing and training your mind to see the joy and the good in everything, and training yourself to become a realistic optimist, that becomes how your child is. They learn from watching and observing. The untrained mind can accomplish nothing, and your child is soaking in everything that you're doing and saying. So think about, as you're trying to learn this skill and train yourself to be this way, put on those rose-colored glasses and find the beauty in the world, they will become that way too. They will grow up to be capable, confident, happy people who find the joy in things and enjoy everything because you always enjoyed everything, right? If it rains, let's splash in the mud. If we get dirty, let's have a food fight while we're cooking, right? Let's um, let's play a silly game in line. I have always had a happy dance in the elevator because when my kids were little, the elevator was like, terribly scary to them. And so every time we got the elevator, I'll go happy dance and we would do a happy dance and we still do it. And they're four, almost five, right? Those little things become really happy memories for them. And, um, we find joy and fun and excitement everywhere that we are. And we try to share that with people. I love when my kids roll down the window and they go, Hey, I want to share that, share my joy with that person. These are things that my kids say. And we roll down the window and they go, Hey, we're listening to a Dolly Parton song. We're having fun. Here's some joy. And they just start blowing kisses and, and, you know, wave and stuff. They've done this since they were babies. And that's because I modeled that for them. I would go, that looks, that person looks sad. I bet they want to see a happy baby. Let's, let's, you know, spread some joy. These are things that I've shared with them and modeled for them. And so they also do that. So they like to find the joy in things and it comes from modeling. Be 
the example for them. Be the way you want your child to be and see the world the way you want to see it and the way you want them to see it. Remember what I've said before in, in other episodes, children live in their hearts. Adults live in their minds. In order to reach their minds, we have to go through their heart. We have to go through um, their hearts with empathy, love, connection, and joy to help them get into their minds and train their minds and train their, per- their perception of the world to be positive. It's about being a realistic optimist. That's what reframing is. So P is for play. A is for authenticity. R is for reframing. And I want to hear your stories. I want to hear how some of this stuff is working for you. Um, if you want to send me like a little recording that I can share um, in the episodes, that'd be really cool. Not sure how to do that. I can also set up a, um, an interview with some of you if you want to share with me um, online. But I really like to hear how this stuff is working for you. Shoot me an email too. Maybe I can just read the email Um on the podcast for everybody, but I really do like to know um, how this is working in your home. And I love to hear real world examples. So please keep sharing. So P is for play, A is for authenticity, R is for reframing, and then E is for empathy. Again, I know I say every one of these is my favorite, but E is for empathy is definitely also one of my favorites. And that's going to be next week's episode. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting. Um, You can support on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash wholeheart, or you can go to my blog, wholeheartcrunchyparenting.com. Shoot me an email at chelsea at joinwholeheart.com, or you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter, um, Instagram, Ms. Chelsea Vale, but on Facebook, I think I'm still under um, Whole Heart Crunchy Parenting. Um, Enjoy. Be well.